Now, for those of you who, who might not have been here the last week or so, uh, we began looking at his life uh, there in chapter 12 uh, of Genesis. And then last week we saw how there's to be confidence and fear. And then the first session we had on this was the basis of confidence. So today we're looking uh, more so at confidence in midst of conflict. Constant, uh, conflict there. Uh, so, with all of that in mind, we'll get started here and uh, trust that you've had a great week. And as we open the word here, that God will give us some help in the, the journey that we're making continuously, okay? Let's pray together if we will. Father, thank you so much for the wonderful day you have uh, opened up for us. Lord, the beauty of worship already that we've been able to partake in with the, the saints. And then even again, Lord, as we open the word that God you'll speak to and through our hearts. Lord, I ask now that you'll just be with us in every way. Holy Spirit, be our teacher now. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, uh, conflict. That's probably something most of us uh, in reality, I've never had major conflict, but yet we'll see in uh, Abraham's life that it was not a conflict that brought about uh, bows, uh, but yet or, or blows, let me say. But it was something that could have really turned into a major uh, time of division. So, on page 83, as you look at the uh, cover uh, part, confidence in the midst of of conflict. Now, I, I thought about how that in our journey of life that uh, some of the conflicts that we see uh, might not be like Abraham and Lot here over at land, but yet sometimes we see that it can be over some of the smaller of things, whether it might be a ring that families divide over or a piece of land that somebody might never speak to their, uh, uh, to their siblings about. You find this played out uh, all the time in the courts of our day where it's in a uh, marriage uh, there that has wound up in divorce or maybe it's in a child custody uh, place. So what we know is there's conflict all around us. And uh, we sometimes try to figure out who's right and who's wrong, and before we know it, uh, we probably can uh, come to the conclusion uh, that maybe we're both wrong in some ways. So, today we just see how Abraham uh, took the initiative and uh, brought this to Lot's attention. Page 84, if you're looking in your quarterly, trust God when conflict disrupts your relationships. Uh, he said when uh, talking about sailing, that is his uh, means of introducing this subject. He said when I, uh, I learned to sail when I was a kid, and he said when I think of that, I think of one word, and that's tension. Now, I am not a sailor. Matter of fact, it has never uh, came to my mind how they make that boat go where they want to, almost in the head of the wind. I don't understand that principle. Now, I still, I still like that other method of having a motor on the back of the boat, you know, to get where I'm going. I feel like I'm in control a little bit. But this guy talked a little bit about sailing, but tension was his word. 
He said the tension of balancing that boat, the tension of the rippling current, or the tension of the main sail rope. And he said, just, at, just like sailing, we're always managing tensions in our life. None of us, I don't believe, can say we have outgrown all of the tensions that life brings. He mentioned two or three, the tension of finances, the tension of how we respond to news, the tension of maintaining healthy habits. He said uh, one of the most difficult tension is how we manage relational or relationship tensions. And that's where we are today in this particular study, okay? I, I want to begin reading here, and I will on page 85, now Lot. Notice how that begins. It starts uh, here, and Abraham is addressing him. He said, now Lot, who was traveling with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. But when the land was unable to support them as long as they stayed together, for they had so many possessions that they could not stay together, and there was quarreling between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were living in the land. So Abram said to Lot, Lot, said to Lot, Please, let's not have quarreling between you and me, or between your herdsmen and our herdsmen, since we are relatives. Now, you remember what the King James says in that, do you not? He says, we are brothers. Now we know he did not mention it did not mean that they're brothers uh, in life, but but he meant that they are brothers uh, when it comes to the relationship that they are sharing together. Now the Hallman Christian Standard Bible said, "Since we are relatives," and you probably remember that uh, Lot is nephew to Abram or Abraham, as you see me already addressing him even before his name changes. As we saw in the last session, the writer brings it back to our attention that Abram displayed a lack of trust when he took his family to Egypt. What was it that caused, them, caused him to look to Egypt? You remember? It said there was something happening in the land. What was it? There was a famine. In other words, there was a drought there were things that were necessary that they could no longer get where they were living. So Abram looked to Egypt, and they went to Egypt. And as they were going into Egypt, they concocted the idea there of deception. He said, now, wife, you're a beautiful lady. And he said, they're going to be asking questions about you, and you tell them you're just my sister. Well, we know the rest of the story. Once uh, they had figured that out, what we find there is that it was brought again to the attention of Abram, and then the people began to give them great resources, give them things. So most likely they were much richer when they came out than they were when they went in. And as a result of that, the uh, problem uh, relationally grew worse as uh, they were coming back home. Notice the writer says, their collective wealth made traveling together difficult. This created tension between the herdmen there of Abram's livestock 
and the herdmen of, of Lot's livestock. And the writer calls it their turf war. Now, uh, every, uh, every battle, might I say, every conflict uh, usually can be traced back to a source, can it not? Now, that source, whether it is justifiable or not, only comes into the minds of those who are in the conflict together. However, we discover here uh, that now there's going to be some initiative taken concerning the hardship that they're going through. I'm on page 85. I'm in the right-hand column. It says, as a leader of the large assembly, Abram had a choice. He could ignore the conflict or he could confront it. Abram didn't run from conflict. He had the courage to face it head on. And he did so by first thinking of his relationship with Lot. How many times have we, how many times have I, uh, see something there that we knew could lead into something much larger? Knowing that we needed to confront that, uh, not like Barney Fife, you know, nip it in the bud, but knowing that we needed to wisely maybe address that. But yet we ignore it, thinking that that little thing will go away. Now, sometimes if it's a sibling rivalry, and there's more than one sibling, believe me, if there's more than one in the household, there's going to be some conflict somewhere. But if there's multiple siblings, there's one that always maybe assumes the nature of trying to fix it all. Maybe you're the one. I know sometimes uh, uh, in our relationship, uh, Debbie's one of five, I'm one of four, and sometimes we've both been uh, called to try to settle a dispute between somebody else, and oh man, how hard that is. However, Abram, the writer said, or however in our lives, do we ignore the issue or confront it? We cannot control the attitudes uh, uh, and actions of another individual or group, but we can control our attitude about the situation. And then he talks about evaluating, asking, am I, am I one doing my part to maintain peace? Or have I done everything I can do to resolve the conflict? Now, uh, as I was re-reading re re and rehearsing my notes again this morning, uh, I was reminded of a New Testament conflict. And in the New Testament, how many of you remember the day that, or the night that Jesus came to the house there of Mary and Martha and Lazarus? And the scripture says that it was all going well. Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. And it said Martha was doing her normal thing. She was doing the stuff in the kitchen. And Martha comes to Jesus and said, Now Jesus, you need to talk to my sister. Because she's sitting here and I'm doing everything. Now, you remember what Jesus said? He didn't attack Martha. He just simply said, Mary's doing the most important thing today. Or I won't be with you always. But see how there's conflict almost in every place that we go. And sometimes it's just the way we interpret the situations that are there. Now, in the case of Abraham and Lot, uh, it says on page 86, Abram and Lot talked. Now, many times conflict can be settled when we can, what, talk, is there not? 
Now, some people say, you don't want to put me and mine in a room together to talk because there will be a lot of fighting and a scratching. No. The writer said, when done correctly, confrontation can show the other person how much we care. It demonstrates how much the individual matters to us. The alternative approach of ignoring the issue does not solve anything. Over time, you can discover a gigantic wall in a relationship relationship that never uh, should have built up in the first place. And he says there in the latter part of his notes, make it a big deal before it becomes a big deal. Now think about it, if you would, for a moment. What have you saw people have conflict over? Anything? Or everything? (laughs) Everything. (laughs) You know, we would say, oh, the kids can't get along. Well, bless God, they learn from their parents. Sometimes, let's remind ourselves that we possibly may be the cause of some of the conflict. And in our minds, nothing is ever really getting better until maybe we sit down and have a heart-to-heart talk. And that's sort of where we are in the text today. Lot, did Lot not see that there was conflict between the herdsmen going on? I think he probably had heard the same thing Abram heard. I think he's aware that, hey man, this is getting harder and harder as we both grow and multiply. But Lot didn't confront the situation, but Abram does. Now remember something here, if you will, of all the people that uh, is willing to make all the concessions, Abram is the one that God had made the promises to. Abram's the one that God promised the land to. He made the promise about his offspring being even more numerable than the sand of the seashore. But yet now Abram says, and we're fixing to read it, Abram's willing to give away that, or a portion of that, the best portion of that, if Lot would make a choice. So Abram decides there that this conflict is getting worse. Therefore, we cannot ignore that anymore. Now on page 86, we're going to read verses 9, 10, and 11. And notice it is in the same, uh, it's in the same passage that we just uh, read from. So it's all within context. He said to Lot now, is, <clears throat> excuse me, isn't the whole land before you? Now notice it's Abram, the one that had the promise, speaking to Lot, the nephew, He said, isn't the whole land before you? Separate from me. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Lot looked out and saw the entire plain of the Jordan. Saw the the plain of the Jordan as far as Zoar was well watered everywhere like the Lord's garden and the land of Egypt. This, notice the parentheses, this was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose the entire plain of the Jordan for himself. Then Lot journeyed eastward 
and they separated from one another. I like how the writer said there that Abram lowered the temperature of the tension by walking into the conversation with Lot without the goal of winning the conversation. He was not first looking out for his own rights, was he? He was not going into this conversation having made his choice, but yet he lowers the temperature, the writer calls it. The main goal in any conflict must not be about who is right or about making it, uh, but it must be about making it right. Putting the other person first. Now, I always admire people that can do that. Now, when it sometimes comes to family, and you might see a particular family member that you greatly love that's always allowing her, their siblings to do that to them, that's when you want to buy an extra pair of boxing gloves and say, hey, quit letting them do you like that. No, that's not the right thing to do, is it? However, Abram now says to Lot, he said, hey, it's your choice. It's your place now. I give you the right to choose whatever you will. Now, uh, on the bottom of page 86, the scripture, or not the scripture, but the writer reminds us, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interest, but rather to the interest of others. That comes out of Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Now, how does the Lord tell us in the gospel that we ought to treat one another? We've, we've labeled it a rule. What do we call it? The golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Sometimes we paraphrase that and alter, alter it quite a bit. And we say do unto others before they do unto you. But the Lord said do unto others like you would have them do unto you. So again, he said, eliminate the vainglory, eliminate the selfish ambition. But he said, rather, do what the Lord would give us. Any principle from God's Word is the right one. But let's be honest, putting the needs of others before our own doesn't always sit so well. Especially in a conflict situation, it's easier said than done. Humility is the key. Well, humility is something we can talk about greatly. Someone said humility is the very thing that the minute you think you have it, you've lost it. Why? Because humility always puts others before self. He said there about humility, excuse me, humility the key. God will have nothing to do with a self-centered, prideful stance. An humble attitude does not dismiss any wrong that may have been done to you, but remember the goal. The goal in the conflict cannot be about who is right. It must be about making it right. Hey, I'm not saying that you have conflict with others. Praise the Lord, as far as I know right now, I don't have any conflict with others, but you know, they might see that in a different way. I hope they don't. If they do, I'd sort of like to settle those matters for sure. 
But he's talking about humility, the key. Consider the promise and position God gave to Abram. And he said, now, and he reminds us, God had given him this land. So Abram did not have to make Lot the offer. In other words, that's like uh, maybe uh, one of your cousins or nephews coming up to you. You've maybe helped to raise them and they sort of want to be like the prodigal. Hey, Dad, give me my portion. Well, I'm not trying to tell you that you should do that. But in the particular case that we're seeing, that now the promised one, Abram, that gets the promises, says to Lot, the one who he is responsible for at this time, is now making an offer. God, again had given it to Abram, Abram could have said, it's time for you and your quarreling herdsmen to leave and get off my property. That's what the writer said he could have said. And later, Abram lowered the temperature of the tension by raising the level of his humility, not by allowing pride or his rights to control the situation. Now, I definitely would not try to address you today if you're in a similar situation. If you want to sit down with me and tell me about it one day, that's fine. But I'm not the one who would, tell, who would or could tell you how maybe you ought to handle that situation, but I promise you God will be the one who could tell you how to deal with that. We have saw quarrels over less things in our life. Yes, you know, I... Uh, used to think that it ought not be among Christian brothers and sisters. However, I realize some of the most selfish people can be the sainted people. And you know, they, squ they squabble or quarrel over little things sometimes. And like we know, it ought not be so, but it is so. Uh, so right now, Abraham took the initiative. How do you reckon Lot might have felt right now? Abraham's told him, hey man, whatever you want, I'll take what's left. Lot's head could have went to swelling, could it? You know, uh, he, he could have went off and told the herdman, now let's, let's really look this thing out and drive our stakes down because we've been given a choice here of this matter. Now I want us to look at how Lot saw and how Lot began to make his choices, Okay. There's much to be said for Lot, and most of it is not good from this time forward. However, Abram said, the land is before you. Separate from me. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. And Lot looked and saw the entire plain of the Jordan. As far as Zor was well watered everywhere like the Lord's garden, and the land of Egypt, Lot chose. So you see how he made his choice, did he not? And what was it about? The writer reminds us there uh, about Abram again on the bottom of page 87. It says, as humble as Abram was, its descendant Jesus was far more humble. And we're going to address that in a moment. But I want, to, I want to talk a little bit about how Lot made his choice. And I know today... The lesson isn't about Lot's choice, but the character there of Abram. 
But we can't go forward without thinking about Lot just a, just a little bit anyway. We know Lot better from the end than we do from the beginning, do we not? But when Lot went down to Sodom and he lived there, the Scripture tells us, and while he lived there, we remember that there were daughters that I think married. There were daughters that had not, that were still living at home with them. And you remember Lot lost something while he was in Sodom. And what was it? Well, he lost a lot, some would say. The thing that he lost that I want to remind you of, he lost his testimony. Because when Lot went to tell his sons-in-laws what the Lord was fixing to do, they sort of laughed him to scorn. They wouldn't believe him. So when Lot left, he and his wife and his two daughters, when they left Sodom under the command of the Lord, remember, some of his family stayed behind and they, they lost their lives as the Lord rained down fire and brimstone there on the place of Sodom. So Lot made his choices from a worldly position, did he not? And let, let, me not get too, let me not get too pious as to say, I haven't made choices like that before myself. But we must need to learn to make choices from a scriptural perspective. And not just wondering, how is that going to affect my pocketbook? Or how is that going to affect my checkbook? But we need to make sure of how that's going to work when it comes to family. Now, there's, there's an individual who told me recently, and has told me before, that one of the first things they always did before they moved to a new town is they had been as they had been uh, required to move because of a job, one of the first things they always would do is they'd go to that town or city where they were moving and they would always try to find them a church before they even found them a place to live. Now that's admirable. But now, on the other hand, you know, having been in that situation of moving, and because of my position, I always had the church before I had to decide where to live, etc. But I'm not trying to tell you how to do this, but I'm just trying to throw a little bit of perspective about how Lot now makes his choice of where, where they're going to go. Is there anything else about that y'all might want to add? Absolutely. Uh, in the end, when they were leaving and they, and, and they were told not to look back, we remember Lot's wife. Scripture said she turned into a pillar of salt. Somebody said, do you really believe that, preacher? I said, hey, if God said it, I believe it. I believe he could have turned her into a mattress if he had wanted to. Now, I know that sounds funny, but hey, if God said it, I'm just naive enough to believe it. But the key to that is don't look back. It's finished, that's right. Abraham, I mean, Lot lost a lot by going to Sodom, didn't he? He did. And uh, we, we know the rest of Lot's story. 
when him and the two girls that did survive that, uh, we know from that we get the Ammonites, it, and the Moabites because of uh, an incestuous relationship, etc. We're looking at Abram though. After, look on page 88 now. After Lot separated from him, the Lord said to Abram, Look from the place where you are. Look north, south, east, and west, for I will give you and your offspring forever all the land that you see. I will. Notice the I will again here. Uh, there's already been one I will in verse 15. And now we see it again. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust of the earth, then your offspring could be counted. Get up and walk around the land through its length and width, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and went to live near the oaks of Mamre at Hebron, where he built an altar to the Lord. Notice that, how precious that is. Now, Abram's the one who said, I'll take what's left. Didn't know in the beginning what Lot was going to choose, but Lot chose the choice land, the well-watered land, the green land. Man, he's got a lot of cattle. Uh, this looks like we're not going to have to buy no feed no more. Well, Lot made his choice, and then the Lord said, Abram, look out. And what the Lord does is He gives them as far as his eyes can see there. And he said again, I will give you and your offspring all the land that you see. Now, with that in mind, whose land do you think that is now? Does it still belong to them? Should it still belong to the Jew? It should. Why? God made a promise. Now, the offspring of Abraham or Abram, God made a promise to them. Now, I'm not going to get into the last days and get into, uh, you know, end time events, but, but there, you know, in, in the 48, was it? There was, again, uh, the revival of that nation their status, and uh, they claimed, or they were given a portion of land. They again claimed a more of the portion of that land, but they have never nearly claimed all that God made the promise to Abraham about. But it says there that the Lord said it's yours. And he said, your offspring will be too numerous to count, he said, get up and walk around the land, for I'll give it to you. Boy, I can only imagine the heart of Abram reassuring him that he did the right thing with Lot. Now the Lord says that Abram moved his tent. He went to Hebron and he built an altar to the Lord. Again, as we think about that, Abram is, is a man of the altar, is he not? And when we see that, we could call him a man of prayer. We could call him a man of worship. I just know this, that he goes back and he renews himself, his vows even, I could claim, in the Lord. Why? Because God is faithful. 
Now, thinking about how do we respond or handle conflict. And it's not always conflict between he and I or conflict between them and I. The conflict sometimes we can quite possibly not be aware of it. But once it's brought to our attention, it's better to address it than it is to ignore it for sure. But address it in the way that Abram did or the Lord would. Address it with humility, lots of grace. Why? Because the Lord would have us do it that way. Any thought or question or addition? On page 89, there's those three things under conflict management. Uh, the most important part of resolving a conflict is sharing your truth. Again, I refuse to listen to anyone who holds that point of view. And the third thing that the writer brings our attention is I think it's best if we just don't talk about it. And he says the world has a vastly different view of handling conflict than God's Word. How would you respond to a friend who would make one or two of those statements? Who's getting rich over conflicts in our day and age? Attorneys, in a large way, are they not? And hey, you might be got your degree in law, and I'm not making fun of people, but it just carries us to that. It carries us to think about how things are having to be managed or are being managed. You know, Paul addressed that in 1 Corinthians 6, was it not? How that it should not be that brother go to brother or have to go to brother in the court of law. But in this case, thank God, Abram took the initiative and the matter was settled. Anybody have a thought? I just noticed this footnote down here by Tony Evans. If anybody saw David Jeremiah yesterday, he brought out the fact that he was one of his closest friends. Yeah. And he quoted something that Tony had said. It was, it was very cute. He said, I can't yeah. say it like Tony, but I, I made up my mind I was going to tell it to you. They ain't but one Tony Evans. I know. And once you've, once you've uh, heard him or did a study by him, you'll always come back. He talked about how much he admired him. Yeah. He said he was a good man. Amen. Uh, next week now, we'll be studying confidence in seasons of uncertainty. Now, you folks who are listening by YouTube or watching by YouTube today, uh, next week's lesson is coming out of Genesis chapter 15. So if you will, take your Bible sometime in this week uh, and uh, read that passage and you'll have an awareness of where we'll be studying next Sunday. And uh, thank you for joining us, okay? Thank you. Folks, take your break and we'll... We'll be back together here in a few minutes.